This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I am Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. What does separation anxiety mean to you? Does it make you think of crying babies and tricky drop-offs. We're in conversation with an expert in the field. We had Masha Valkanu joining us live in the studio to talk about attachment disorders and also looking at that older age group too. And brushing up on your sales skills. You might not be selling in what you might consider to be the conventional way, but you could be surprised at just how much sales skills could improve your life. We had growth and business coach Matt Mo in the studio to explain more. And looking ahead to the school and nursery show, it's happening this weekend in Abu Dhabi. We had the director of Catherine McAvoy explaining exactly what is in store. And as ever, on a Wednesday, it's Pets and Vets. Dr. Leanne Cameron from the British Veterinary Clinic was on hand to talk about travelling with your pets and addressing all of your questions and concerns about your furry friends. For parents, especially working parents, separation anxiety hits hard and sometimes it's every day and that can set the tone for your whole day or sometimes it can come out of nowhere, a developmental stage and you can't quite understand why. So we are talking separation anxiety on the show today from babies all the way through into older children. We've had a number of messages on this so please don't hesitate to reach out if this is something you need a bit of help with. How does it manifest and how can we work through this as a family with our kids. Joining us live in the studio now is Masha Valkanu. She's a certified systemic family psychotherapist at Thrive Wellbeing Centre and most importantly a parent because I always feel like, I, okay, between us and everyone listening today, I've had um, paediatric nutritionists on the show before and I'm like, yeah, have you got kids? And they go, no. I'm like, well, with respect, <laughs> you haven't had the picky food battles that every parent has. I just feel like you need to have some personal experience of these things to, to really connect I think so thank you for being here today I really really do appreciate it can we start off by I guess defining what separation anxiety is from not a medical point of view necessarily but to make it very clear in terms of that definition thank you Helen and uh, it's always lovely to be here Uh, and as you said yeah many times before we become parents we are saying like I am never going to do that no drive throughs and yeah. you're like mm, I was a much better parent before I had children let's just put exactly. it that way exactly <laughs> so yes experience is uh, another point of view um, separation anxiety in children is a very developmental in that term normal phenomenon. Uh, it's um, the moment when every parent first struggles to leave their baby and especially mothers um, because in first year of baby life uh, by biology uh, a human infant cannot survive on their own uh, so mother and a baby have a very special bond and they are tuned in psychologically, neurologically and in all other ways so that baby can have more chances of survival. 
Um, in that period of time, and I'm talking about the first year, uh, mother and the baby are kind of in separate unit, and that is the way the nature intended. So around the nine months of age, the baby becomes aware that she and the mother, or he and the mother are two separate entities, and there comes separation anxiety, because that's a reaction on a child's thinking that, uh, it can stay without the primal caregiver because, of course, the fathers can be very good uh, primal caregivers, though it's usually because of the breastfeeding and everything in first year, it's usually a mother. So from nine months in next, for example, maybe until two to four years, separation anxiety can be present in children in different intensity. And uh, uh, separation anxiety at the start from nine months to the first kindergarten, uh, uh, ex like uh, how to say experiences, uh, is something that we have to expect. Mm -hmm. And it's normal for, for it to be there. And actually, it's the sign that you have a good relationship with your child because the child is having a reaction on a separation. However, that, yeah. however. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as, as I think we've had a message here from um, a mum who's got a nearly eight-year-old boy, which we're going to, going to come to. So even after you've gone through those, I mean, heart-wrenching goodbyes when you're dropping a baby off or a, a toddler off at a you know, playgroup or nursery or school or with a friend doesn't necessarily mean that separation anxiety finishes at age three. Sometimes it can just take different forms as that child gets over, gets older. And is that related to development stages or can it be circumstantial in terms of a change, be it, I don't know, a divorce or a new school or a change of country, for example? Yes. So we have a few different things here. So the first thing is... Um, the different intensity and different, uh, how to say, extent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, is it going, is it prolonged? Is it complicated? So we have this very natural phenomena. But uh, you will see other people, maybe parents will have a hard time to see if they are doing something wrong, but other people will tell that in a second. So uh, maybe your, you know, extended family or friends, they will come to you and say, look, I think you're doing something wrong here because they can catch it up very easily because, of course, it's not their child. Uh, so if you're not sure if, you know, your child is bordering like on a limit, is this OK and usual or this is now getting too much, then you can just, uh, you know, listen to what people around you are telling you and you will see. But now we are uh, uh, speaking about when you are absolutely sure that there is a problem. This is uh, all, already for years and uh, the child is going to school. So, of course, separation anxiety should have no space there whatsoever. Um, we can also say, I think this is a very important part, uh, that parenting in that sense is uh, like walking on a rope. So the balance is the key. If you do too little or if you do too much, it will both cause developmental disorder. Oh, so. This is scary stuff. I know parenting is a big responsibility, but my goodness, I feel like sometimes it's, it's so hard to get that balance right. So with separation anxiety in particular, what are your absolute do's and don'ts when it comes to dealing with it, Masha? 
Yes. So one end of the spectrum is that child doesn't show any disturbance with being left alone. And we are talking about a very small child. That means that the parent was not avail- available enough for the child. So the child lost any hope. He doesn't expect that the parent can help with this inner state of mind. So they've got... a. Um I just listened to a podcast this morning about attachment styles. So this would be a very insecure attachment to that parent. It will be insecure and it will be like more towards uh, just pulling away, like like detachment, avoidant, like uh, not, not even expecting a relationship to happen and to have some benefits from the relationship. And then at the other end of the spectrum? And then on the other end of the spectrum, which is very popular with modern parenting, is when we are very scared to frustrate our children. We do anything in the world just not for them to feel any frustration. So they're completely incapable to uh, uh, for the frustration tolerance. So they can't, which is, no resilience, no self-regulation, nothing. Yes, which is okay. detrimental for, the, for mm-hmm. their development. So when you are too available for the child, when you're doing everything for the child, when you are Uh, going out of your way to be always present, to never let them feel any discomfort, any uh, pain. And there I hear in my practice there we will, (laughs) let's say, fight a lot because uh, the parent who is doing this will, of course, say, but I'm not doing too much. And that's and it it is and that's too, that's, so that's, that's, that's when a the, third person can mm-hmm. be really helpful and sometimes it can be an expert such as yourself, Masha. Um, but sometimes it can be an educator. There was a, a little boy in my daughter's class for a year, a year, a little boy who would cry and cry and cry every single morning. And I have to say, the school were amazing. They were there, you know, pick, helping him at the gate, taking him through, trying all sorts of different techniques. And I think that's actually really, I thought that was just really valuable that they'd flag this with the school and the school was there to support them in making sure he eased into that day as seamlessly as possible, but also for the parents as well. Because I've had those rough drop offs and it sets the tone for your whole day. Joining us live in the studio from Thrive Wellbeing Centre is Masha Velkanu, certified systemic family psychotherapist and by all accounts, very busy in the clinic right now. Every uh, every mental health expert I speak to seems to be somewhat overwhelmed by the number of people, which is great that people are reaching out and getting in touch and getting the help that they need. But I think... Uh I think you guys are in a state of overwhelm as well right now. Um, Masha, I want to go to the text line because we've had a number of messages. And interestingly, it's actually in the slightly older age range of children. When I think about separation anxiety, I think about when I went back to work when my when my daughter was three months old. I think about, you know, taking them to nursery for the first time and, and us both crying. But that kind of seven, eight age group seems to be a bit of a tricky one. And I actually put on my Instagram uh, a few weeks ago that my daughter was having anxiety around going to bed about going to bed but then saying she didn't she didn't feel safe or she didn't want to be alone even though she's in the room with her sister and a bit of FOMO I think but just struggling with anxiety around bedtime and I had some amazing suggestions and interestingly as I said it's this age group that we've had messages about today anonymous message here saying our son is nearly eight and has always struggled with separation anxiety every nursery drop off he used to cry I was told it was normal etc but it still carries on um, I have to hand him to an adult, otherwise he won't go into school. He won't be left at parties, won't go on play dates. Um, he will 
will sleep independently in his own bed. He does swimming lessons in a very small pool with three other children, but I have to be at the poolside and he will outgrow that next year. I honestly don't know what to do. People say it's normal, it'll pass when he gets older, but I've been hearing it for years now. I have tried everything from being kind and loving to firm and somewhere in the middle, but nothing seems to work. Please help. Yes, so uh, I'm always saying uh, children are, uh, I mean, it's not their fault and we should not fa- uh, we, we should not search for what is how to say, out of the line in themselves in that direct sense. So they are product of our upbringing, of our relationship with them. So I always say, especially with children, don't think about how to control and manage their behavior. Mm -hmm. Think about how to regulate yourself. Because regulating yourself, you are giving them space to grow up mm-hmm. and, you know, to feel uh, develop in, in a natural and spontaneous and healthy way. Mm-hmm. So work on yourself. That's the key, the key, the key message here. How do we work on ourselves? Uh, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the only and the best way that I know is certainly therapy. So if we are talking about a small child where we usually talk about separation anxiety at the beginning of First year, second year, third year, and even fourth year, okay, we can say, you know, if it is even extremely intensive, then we can think about solutions. But when we are uh, going above uh, uh, four or five, then for sure we have to pay attention. And uh, the worst thing that you can do is just neglect and say it will pass by its mm-hmm. own because it will not. It will just transform anxiety in, into something else and, and into some other symptom. So we have to catch it in the start. What are some of the coping strategies um, or techniques that this family could be, could be doing with this boy? Exactly none. (laughs) I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. So it's not about coping strategies for the boy. It's about understanding the family dynamic and probably mother's inner state of mind. And why usually the mothers and the separation from the mother, they have some inner, how to say, advantages by keeping their children in um, earlier stages or in some attachment style that it's unconsciously, not consciously, every mother loves their child to be healthy and to thrive and to be sociable, but unconsciously the child can be, for example, uh, the substitute for the husband if the husband is not there. Their own relationship with their own parents. Exactly. So there are many things that we really need to work on with the parents. are unpacking separation anxiety in children on the show today with Masha Valkanu, a certified systemic family psychotherapist. She's at Thrive Wellbeing Centre is on hand to answer my questions, but truthfully go to the text line now because a lot of you have been in touch. And yes, an element of separation anxiety is, Masha, very normal at certain stages. But when it becomes problematic in terms of really affecting 
behaviours and family dynamics, which is something you obviously specialise in. Um, things can be done. But what I'm kind of taking from from your expertise so far this afternoon is that a lot of it comes down to a parent's perception of that situation and how that can then be communicated to a child. So I want to go to this message and it's completely anonymous and that's absolutely fine. We, we don't mind a bit. Saying, we're divorced, we co-parent, we have a daughter of eight and a half and lately she's not wanting to spend time with her dad or go there. She feels tummy pain when she has to go see him. Should we continue with the routine of one week here, one week there, or should she stay with the mother until she feels better? Uh, thank you. Uh, I would first, maybe uh, just before I answer the question, uh, come back to this point that uh, separation anxiety as such is a, um, let's say, biological, psychological phenomenon, and in that terms it's normal. But when it becomes too intensive, when it becomes complicated, then we have to see what are the factors and what is really going on. But instead of maybe focusing so much on the child, I would rather focus on the parent and on the dynamic between the child and the parent and what is happening there. What I want to say, because I feel that I'm really sounding too hard to the parents, because it's always parents, 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 they have to look at themselves. Uh, I want to say it's uh, nobody's fault. This is not a blaming game. It's nobody to be blamed there, and it's not their fault because this mother also had her mother from where she got mm -hmm. this line of issues, and then her mother is not to be blamed because it's from her mother. But we have to understand when it's time for our responsibility and when it's the moment to stop and say, I want to do something about it. So I will take care of myself. I will go to therapy and I will take care of my child in a different way. I will not just let it slide because it will just, you know, repeat the circle. I think that's a really good insight. It's not about blame. It's about comprehension. It's about understanding circumstances, patterns, exactly. dynamics. And in, in that respect to this message regarding co-parenting and this little girl not yes. wanting to go to her dad, is mm -hmm. it then about what is the relationship like between the parents? What, yes. what factors so, could be leading her to not want to spend time with him? Exactly. So uh, children are unconscious sponges. They sponge everything and especially they're sensitive towards mothers and fathers, of course, unconscious uh, messages, unconscious feelings. Uh, so I believe that uh, the mother is very willing to, you know, mend this relationship, father's-daughter relationship, because she knows that that's good for the child. But somewhere in the unconscious messaging, the girl is probably, I don't know, uh, because I don't know uh, this particular case, but the girl may be defending the mother and protecting the mother and taking her side in a way. Uh, and I think that what mom can do in this case is just trying to maybe strengthen her relationship with father in co-parenting, like very straight, uh, not partnership, but co-parents relationship and mom should give permission to her daughter really from her heart and from her unconsciousness that the daughter can have fun and can enjoy her relationship with father because that is probably lacking and of course we can think about what father is maybe doing 
to uh, make things more uh, uncomfortable with mom again. Mm-hmm. He's probably putting a lot of effort with daughter, but there is this struggle between parents that daughter is reacting on. Thank you, Russia, so, so, so much for your time today. As I said, I know you're incredibly busy over there at Thrive, so I do value your time. And judging by the messages we've had today, this is a topic that is a really emotive one, um, and it's it's one that deserves a lot of unpicking. There are some amazing resources around when it comes to understanding attachment styles, um, attachment disorders. I listened to a great podcast I said this morning on it called Best Friend Therapy. So this is more to do with relationships, um, romantic relationships, but it absolutely applies when it comes to relationships within the family as well. Masha Valkany, thank you for your time. Absolute pleasure. Is sales really just about selling a product, a service? Or could it be a life skill that everybody needs to master? Our next guest wants to prove that being good at sales can help anyone to secure better jobs, promotions, Getting good deals on cars, even finding the right partner or getting your kids to brush their teeth. You've got my attention. Uh, welcome to the studio. Matt Mo, CBO, is a business and growth coach looking at mindset. And I love sales. I just said to you off air, a couple of my favorite jobs have been selling. And people are always quite surprised by that because I feel like it has got this kind of connotation of someone being very salesy. But to me, it's always been about problem solving. Do you feel like there's a bit of a kind of few misconceptions around the idea of sales. Yeah, absolutely, Helen. Thanks uh, very much for hosting me, first of all. Great to be here. Uh, I want to do the Dubai uh, jingle later on. Okay, (laughs) we can do that. (laughs) It's like a dream come true, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us because I think think some things do need a bit kind of clearing up and a lot of people can brush up on their sales skills, as I said, to address all aspects of their life. But why do you think sales skills are a a must in almost everything? Yeah, so first of all, I think um, the the general conception or understanding of, of what sales is all about is where people already kind of fail. Um, I would actually make the claim that 99% of people who are involved in some kind of sales as a business thing, as a business skill, are really not doing very well. Oh, sales people of the UAE, yeah, yeah. get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> we and, and the goal would be to move more people to the to the 1% side. Yeah. So um, sales, actually, a lot of people don't understand or have a wrong, um, like a misconception of, of what it is. It's not about, you know, being pushy or trying to, to push you know, choke whatever you have, product or service, down someone's throat. And we'll talk about the life skill thing as well, of course. But um, yeah, it's uh, sales is actually about getting your agenda through. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people actually, they, they don't understand this. And mm-hmm. um, what I always like to say, like good salespeople ask a lot of questions, bad salespeople talk a lot. So um, that's <laughs> one of the main differences, I think, where, you know, it's, it's different. Yeah, And actually, uh, when I talk to audiences, like I do events, um, from time to time, um, I always ask the audience the question like, okay, who's in sales? Put your hands up. And then typically the people who are actually salespeople put their hand up. But then I tell them, you know, oh, that's wrong. Everybody is in sales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And that can be a sales job as such, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of that being your vocation. But mm-hmm. there can be sales in, in your personal life as well. Absolutely. What aspects yeah. have, have you found someone boosting their sales skills because it's been particularly beneficial? Yeah, definitely in um, yeah in the dating game, for example. I mean, finding the right partner. Anybody who has a partner today has at some point been <laughs> successful uh, to sell that person the idea that you are the perfect uh, perfect person to to be with. And yeah, I mean, you have kids. Uh, yeah. Getting your kids to brush their teeth uh, that's also a matter of sales. You, with children, you are talking to someone who paid their daughter ten dirhams the other night to have a wee before bed. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm like, who, 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 yeah. who is who? Who's whose agenda is being pushed there like yeah. i am the mug yeah with
with children, it's a little bit different, of course, because with children it works differently than with adults because you can have like this reward system in place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the end of the day, um, that that's part of it. And then, yeah, anything that has to do with jobs, um, getting better deals, getting, for example, a, a table at a fully booked restaurant. So if I wanted to, as an example, I wanted to book a table at a restaurant that's fully booked and they would say, yeah, sorry, we have no table. Uh, a lot of people, what they say, oh, okay, thanks. We'll try another time. But for me, that's where it actually starts. Yeah. So Ooh, you see that as an opportunity. I see that as an okay. opportunity. So, Tell me what you'd say, Matt. So I would say, for example, um, okay, I understand that you're very popular and it's actually, I appreciate that you are spending the time to talk to me. Um, now, what would need to happen in order for us to come and get a table? Is it a matter of the group size or revenue? Because we're looking to come to your restaurant with 10 people. We're probably going to spend somewhere between five and 8,000 dirhams. So I try to tickle a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, then you have to also deliver. You cannot say we're going to do that <laughs> and then, you know, you have a milkshake and you go home. That mm-hmm. that would be very, very inappropriate. Yeah. Message here saying everyone is selling, be it doctors, engineers or radio presenters. Yeah. Smiley face. Um, <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, I was laughing when you were talking there about dating because my husband and I met on a blind date and we were we were set up on email before that. Uh-huh. And I still have the emails and they are hilarious. Like we are working so hard to be funny and charming and kind yeah. of lock that date down. And I'm glad we did, obviously, but everyone's putting their best kind of face forward in those situations yeah. what about job interviews then what about selling yourself in a professional capacity so to speak yes interviews is a big uh, topic as well actually a lot of people don't even get to interviews but i just want to say like what i always like to say i think you mentioned already like sales is a life skill yeah uh, so uh, a smart person once said that uh, you know life is a sales game um i think it was henry ford or maybe my grandmother i don't remember <laughs> but uh, i kind of like you know to have interpolation of that so when it comes to interviews yeah um my favorite question question in job interviews and I think this is probably quite rele- relevant to a lot of your listeners because um, here in the UAE I mean I've been here for a very very long time from three decades um, people here are constantly looking for a new job looking to switch jobs get a better job so I think it's, it's quite a, quite an interesting topic for this market um, so my favorite question in the interview process is like okay what is your what are your salary expectations this is the typical one yeah and then a lot of people a lot of job applicants they actually give a figure and they usually say what they're earning now and then maybe they put a little bit on top. But my opinion is that whatever you make today and whatever your job is has absolutely no relevance whatsoever for the next job. So what should you say? So what I would say if somebody offered me a job, I mean, luckily, I don't have to do that anymore. I have my own business, but I was an employee for many, many years as well. Um, I would say, uh, so when someone asks me that question, I would say, well, based on our conversation and everything I've told you what I'm going to bring to the table, I would suggest you make me an offer. It's totally different, right? Mm-hmm. Versus, yeah, right now I make, I don't know, X amount of money and I'd like to earn yeah, maybe 2,000 more. You know, just don't do that. That's <laughs> Own that yeah. power. We are busting myths and giving you tips when it comes to sales this afternoon. And you might think, well, I don't work in a shop. I'm not a salesperson. You are. You are a salesperson in all aspects of your life, whether it comes to negotiating with your kids in the dreaded candy aisle at the supermarket, to indeed negotiating better deals on your car, getting promotions and more. Joining us live in the studio now is a business and growth coach. We've got Matt Moe, CVO. Um, Matt, tell us about some of your magic sentences. I'm yeah, intrigued. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, those um, are, I use them uh, with 
what I call objection handling. This is where a lot of people fail in sales. Um, I'll, I'll give you some examples in a moment, but like an objection would be like, this is expensive, it's too expensive, when you actually make an offer in an actual sales process of a business, yeah. Like, for example, somebody would say, a potential client would tell you, uh, yeah, okay, um, I'll think about it. And then uh, the salesperson would say, okay, yeah, I'll uh, I'll call you next week. Yeah, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, we will never speak again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't call us. We'll call you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, And also, it's a difference. A lot of people like this price negotiations, like... If somebody says this is expensive, is not the same as this is too expensive. Then there's potentially a budget issue which you would need to tackle. Uh, but yeah, every objection needs to be handled, handled and dismantled, as I call it. So, um, for example, if somebody would say to me, yeah, you know, I offer courses, for example, yeah. So um, somebody would say, oh, Matt, you know, this is this is really expensive. Um, what a lot of people would do now, they get into an argument, they start arguing with a client or a potential client. And which is absolute poison for any business, yeah. So <laughs> you need to handle that objection. So you would say, for example, um, okay, well, if if there's a, a concern about the price, let me explain to you again quickly. Let's just run through all the benefits that you're getting and what you could get out of that. And then you can add a magic sentence, and there's four of them. Does that sound like a fair suggestion? So that's something I like to add a lot. Does that sound like a fair suggestion? Another one would be... Um, does that make sense? So you're trying to get agreement, and this is very different versus, oh, no, but the price is because of this and that, and mm. yeah, uh, no, uh, this is like, you know, we have cost and don't argue. It sounds it's, more, it's, So you're, we're trying to get to a point of conversation and meeting of minds and understanding absolutely. rather than yeah. like a power battle. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, power battle, that's the right word, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, or if somebody would say, I need to think about it, and I would, you know, sometimes other sales coaches, they say, uh, you should respond, what are you, what there to think about that that's not that's also argumentative yeah mm-hmm. then i would say okay you telling me this shows me that there is still some need for clarification what did you like most about what i offered you for example so bring it back to the positive yeah exactly yeah. now <laughs> it's um it is crazy deals my email i was like oh i'm mm. popular today and it, no it's all emails about various sales at the minute Black Friday yeah. lots of Black Friday <laughs> cyber yeah. weeks etc yeah. etc et they did it last week already as well you know? oh no I think yeah, it's yeah, going to be between crazy. now and January yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be ongoing <laughs> and I just wondered what yeah. your take was when we're talking about sales what about yeah. actual sales yeah so I personally think um Discounts is something that I would strongly recommend, especially smaller businesses, to completely step away from and not even get started. Because once you are on the discount train, it's going to be very difficult to come off that. Because if somebody buys something from you with a discount, next time they would buy something. Because ideally, if you have somebody who purchases something from you, you should make them a lifetime customer. Yeah, ideally. they want to come back, but, uh, but they're going to come back with very different expectations. Of course, yeah. Now I need this, and, and can you add this and that? So once you're in on this, as I call the discount train, it's very difficult to start. Off. And if you look at really high-value brands, um, like expensive car makers, for example, I've never seen a company like Ferrari or Lamborghini offer a discount. Yeah, And this goes for other stuff as well, apparel and so on. Uh, there, There's no discount or Black Friday offers at a Rolex store. Uh, not that I've ever seen that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I personally haven't been looking in the Rolex store, yeah. but I will take your word for it. But that's interesting because that, it's about perception then. Yeah, it's, it's about making sure you're still perceived to be... Yeah high value 
in a timeless fashion. Yeah, value is actually a good word because with discount, my belief is you are completely diluting your product or your service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you, when you're in Dubai and you go to the mall, what are some of your big pet peeves from salespeople? Because <laughs> I have mine. Yeah, <laughs> I have a rant, Matt. Go for it. Yeah, so it's... Um, what I, what I notice here a lot, like I said, I've been here for a long time. Uh, I think people in general are maybe lacking training. Definitely. They are not able to solve problems very often. Yeah, They, they can tell you everything about the problem, but what's the solution? Yeah, uh, I've even had people in, in stores who are salespeople who start telling me all their issues and their problems. Oh, you know, I, I checked into a hotel recently. Somebody told me, oh, yeah, you know, because I arrived really late. Uh, for two nights, I didn't sleep. I'm like... This is yeah. not the best start to my yeah, break here. Yeah, I mean, this is not the. I mean, I'm sorry for that person if that's the case, <laughs> but from a business perspective, this is not something that that's the client's problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should make people f- feel welcome, and and yeah, try to try to look for solutions, and not for problems. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, I'm not going to name the shop, but there is a <laughs> there is one that they will follow you around and basically point out your physical flaws and then thrust products into your hands to try and fix them. I'm like, I don't want to be told about oh my, my fine lines. Go away. <laughs> this, is not yeah. a, this is not a positive experience. Yeah. Um, lastly, you, you teased us earlier about getting kids to brush their teeth. Mm. Come on, what can we do? Help us out here, Matt. Uh, well, I mean, it, it depends a little bit on the age, yeah. So if it's young kids, then you can put a reward system in place. Like, not like, yeah, okay, if you brush your teeth, now you're going to get this, but like a, a system. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of counterproductive, let's say, yeah. But like some kind of a system, you know, if if you um, do something for a certain period of time, then we're going to go and do something fun, yeah. Uh, same thing also, some of my clients, they have families also. Um, and they also, like, when they start a business, for example, the whole family needs to be on board mm-hmm. because otherwise you're going to have a very hard hard time trying to develop anything because mm-hmm. they will be busy so there i advise my clients the same thing have a system in place like you know if you let mom work now and you know this what mom is doing is going to develop yeah get that we're buy-in all, we're all going to benefit from it yeah because yeah. everybody's tuned into the same radio station not only dubai i <coughs> but also uh, wifm wiifm excuse me what's in it for me oh um, my goodness so <laughs> yeah this is true yeah. matt and, i'm yeah. i'm so we've run out of time I've, okay. I've, I've, i think this is such an interesting I'll topic yeah, yeah. i would love that yeah, yeah. um in the meantime though for anyone who is looking for individual coaching business coaching i know you work some big companies here in the uae internationally what's the best way of getting in touch with you uh, probably through social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Those three are my main channels, I would say. Um, at CVO, one word, you should be able to find me. If it's you want much details, yeah. drop me a message on 4001. Yeah. Can, can I give one more advice for, for an objection? Because that's something I hear a lot, especially here. Because uh, we have a market here where a lot of companies operate in their whatever the industry is. So very typical objection. I just want to give that to the people who are listening. Um, is we already have a supplier. Yeah, this is what a lot of people get shut shut down with very quickly. Mm-hmm. Don't hang up. Don't give up. This is where the sales game starts, actually. So what I would say in that particular example is to say, Mr. Customer, a man, a woman of your format, size of your company, whatever, give them some compliments. It was absolutely clear to me that you already have a supplier. But then an appointment makes even more sense because either you find out you're already working with the best in class or there's potential to actually upscale what you're looking for. And for anyone who's a cold caller here in the UAE, do not listen to Matt's advice. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need any more of those. But for legitimate salespeople looking to build relationships, great advice there, Matt. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. If you want Matt's details, by all means, drop me a message, 4001. We 
are talking education, education, education now with Catherine McAvoy, the Managing Director of The School Show. It is back here in the UAE this weekend. Catherine, thank you for taking time out of your, no doubt, very busy schedule over the next few days to explain exactly what's going on in Abu Dhabi. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me, Sir Helen. You're welcome. The School and Nursery Show has become a real landmark event, I think, for parents looking to make a change or indeed looking to get started on their educational journey with their children. For anyone who's not familiar with the concept, can you explain how it works and what it kind of looks like over the weekend? Absolutely. So like you said, this weekend is actually our Abu Dhabi edition. This will be our 23rd event in the UAE. I know, we've been going now since 2014 and we are now in Dubai, Abu Dhabi and in Sharjah. Um, and really, I mean, our approach is, is and our aim is to simplify things for parents. Um, it can be very overwhelming choosing um, a school or a nursery for your child. Um, there's, we're very lucky. There's a huge amount of choice. But it can be quite baffling for mm-hmm. people. And it's <laughs> very baffling. We've had whole shows so, on which curriculum is for me, you know. Oh, or, you no, know all, it, of, all of that. It's, it, it, I mean, it, as you say, it's wonderful, but there can become something of a paralysis of choice as well. Absolutely. And it can be really daunting for people. So our aim has always been to simplify. So what we aim to do is to just make it nice and straightforward for parents. We want them to be able to come to one place under one roof, um, meet a, you know, a huge number of schools and nurseries, and essentially for them to be able to make it personalised for them to be able to get their questions answered. Um, they get to meet you know, the principals, the senior leadership teams of schools and nurseries, but also... And this is something that's so important when choosing a school is that although it's absolutely fantastic having websites, brochures, billboards, everything like that about schools, what it always comes down to is it's the people who make the difference. Mm -hmm. It's very personal and every child is different and every parent has, you know, a different set of requirements. And so being able to meet, um, meet face to face with, like I say, educational leaders and, and really make it about them and get their questions answered, understand, understand the kind of values and ethos of not just, you know, the school, but also of those leaders. You can get, a, a, you know, a fantastic feel of what that school is going to provide just in a few minutes mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, like I say, sort of trawling through websites and listening to, you know, discussions and podcasts and things, which are incredibly important. But at the end of the day, it's about, like I said, simplifying for parents. And that's our aim. So it's a chance to meet those educators face to face. You've also got some big hot topics going on, lots of um, really important discussions. I've got a message here from uh, Naomi saying, um, is it free to attend and how could you sign up? Thank you, Naomi. Absolutely. You've absolutely preempted my final question to Catherine. What, question. what is the best way of getting in touch and, and <laughs> yeah, joining? Absolutely. It's free for parents to attend. So all they need to do is go to our website. It's just the schoolshow.ae. Um, registration's free. Children are very welcome. It's really nice for them to be able to, to meet, you know, uh, principals and, uh, and teachers as well. Um, and it's this weekend in Adnec, in, um, in Hall 5 in Adnec. And they can come along and meet them face to face.
Catherine, thank you so much. I'm going to let you get back to what is probably endless phone calls, Excel spreadsheets and logistics, but so much hard work going on behind the scenes to make sure everyone has a brilliant weekend down there at the School and Nursery Show. As you said, happening thank in Abu Dhabi. Um, and if anyone wants the details of that show, drop me a message. I'd be very happy to connect you. Catherine, really appreciate your time as ever and wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. We are live online and on Facebook too. We fancy seeing what's happening in the studio because joining us live is Dr. Leanne Cameron from the British Veterinary Hospital. Um, and Leanne, I was thinking, I was thinking about you today. So my best friend Rach, on my on my WhatsApp, I've got a, like a little kind of bio that says no voice notes, please. I can't, I can't deal with them. But Rach is the one person I make an exception for, and she sends me not just a voice note but basically a podcast, like nine minutes a day. She has got a Ridgeon uh, Ridgeback called Zap, who is enormous. And her question was, she was like, I know you talk about animals on the show all the time. And she was like, I wonder if, if animals can be neurodiverse. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I, I was like, I have no idea, because you'd think, I don't know, numbers-wise, it's probably a possibility, but I've never, I've never thought about it or talked about it before. So what's your take as a vet? Yeah, for sure. So in the same way as it's been a long time since we've understood neurodiversity in children, you know, it's been all very recent. It was around about the 1960s that we started to think in veterinary that it could actually be a possibility in dogs as well. So um, it's certainly something, there isn't a spectrum in the same way because A, we just don't know as much about it. And obviously spectrums develop with more knowledge that you have of these things. But um, it's something that we call canine dysfunctional syndrome um, is what we call it. And it's usually related to animals that um, either show kind of compulsive behaviours, um, either animals that maybe whenever the owner's even just trying to play with them, um, just doesn't interact in the same way. So like you throw a ball and, you know, they're not even, in, you know, they just run off in the other direction. There was a study done on bulldogs, actually, um, about uh basically relating um, autism to um, tail tail, um, chasing. So they did that. um, And basically they believed that dogs that insist, obviously as puppies, it's it's an interesting thing, but Mm -hmm. often the the neurons that develop then make dogs realise that, oh no, older dogs don't do that, so I don't chase my tail anymore. But they then find that the majority of those dogs that carried on tail chasing was were more likely to be on the spectrum and more likely to be boy dogs as well, interestingly. Interesting. Yeah. So and I guess, I mean, in terms of being quantifiable, measurable, I mean, in children, there are obviously lots of different assessments you can you can do through, you know, various different kind of neurological experts. So I just had to, I just had to ask you, yeah, f- yeah, for sure. And it is a very interesting thing. Obviously, you know, the, the thing is, is that it's something that we don't know the cause of in of the course. same way as we don't know autism. And it's, you know, suspected to be genetic. So there still is, it's always on our list of kind of behavioural things. But obviously, um, out of COVID, we've seen a lot of anxiety related issues, which isn't you know, dysfunctional syndrome, you know, canine dysfunctional syndrome. So it's trying to rule out things like that. Um, and, and with any behaviour, you're trying to narrow down things. Um, and obviously then medical things, you know, you can have animals that are very lethargic and maybe look a little bit, you know, like they're not all there, but actually it could be hormone related and all the rest of it. So, so I love I love the conversation of it and come in and, and see me anytime to discuss it. Um, it's very complex, um, but there is um, some dogs out there that, as, you know, in the same way as we do 
do need to yeah, approach them differently mm-hmm. because they have different needs than exactly, normal Exactly, in dogs. terms of yeah. training and behaviours yeah. and socialisation. Really yeah, interesting. Sure. Dr Leanne Cameron's with us this afternoon. We're going to be talking travel as well. Um, we've had a message here from Maria saying, how to train my cats to be comfortable um, in the carrier when we're travelling. It is getting to that season. Um, a lot of people either looking to leave their animals behind for a week or so if they're travelling or perhaps travelling with them and I wondered if you could give us some insights on how best to prepare them for for the holidays. Yeah, for sure. So um, cats in particular are always difficult because they are very stressed. In general. Yeah, (laughs) they're very stressy animals and often, you know, we take our dogs um, much more places so they're more used to being, you know, in motion essentially. Mm. Cats aren't particularly um, used to that. So um, the main thing that I can say is trying to habituate the animal to anything in in as long in advance as you can. Um, For certain Certainly, you know, traveling to, um, you know, just traveling in the car in general, short journeys, um, especially to vet visits where cats don't particularly like us. And obviously then traveling, if you're, say, taking them to boarding, essentially, we do have some medications that think can be given sort of an hour before that don't sedate them, but just give them that kind of relaxation. Um, and it just makes the patient happier and the, you know naturally then the owners relax as well because exactly. as soon as the yeah as soon as the cat starts to play up the owner gets frantic and then it's a vicious circle and I think for a lot of pet parents as well it's the peace of mind of where you're taking that animal to yeah, so in terms of sure. any insights the questions we should be asking about boarding facilities and, and the standards that they should be adhering to yeah for sure it, it's like all of these things like the when you're looking into somewhere to go obviously we're very um we're very active in social media here with lots of very good groups and all the rest of it always you know go on recommendations but that that recommendation might be good for one animal and not be good for you for yours so I think you have to take your animal as an individual always try and go and visit these places lots of people like to try and keep their animals at home especially for cats is is really nice but make sure that you're um you know you're researching who's coming in to do do that obviously if it's a family friend then great um but um it is you have to be make sure that you can leave um you know you know very clear instructions mm-hmm. for those people and the main thing is is that we just say put the vet put the vet's number all over the place so that you know they can ask that you know we're we're open to the simplest of questions to you know obviously the more severe things so um those are really really important but certainly as i say do your research for your own individual animal for sure making sure those vet checks are done before you go making sure they're vaccinated make sure that they will be, indeed be welcomed into boarding because those you just talking off air earlier about the number of infectious um, illnesses that are coming in at the minute. And unfortunately, boarding can be a bit of a breeding ground for those. Yeah, for sure. Um, vaccines, you know, always have your boarding facilities asking for your vaccines and, and properly checking them. And lots of them are uh, because of all of the increase in infectious diseases are looking for vaccine checks and things like that, specifically in dogs. Um, and, and boarding facilities are still wonderful establishments. And because of, if anything, because of all of the infectious disease increase, um, all those facilities have stepped up their mark Good. and their and their um, protocols are fantastic. So don't be scared to, to, to go to them. Just do your research beforehand. Well said. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. We're going to go to the text line. Dr Leanne, a message here from Lorraine saying, should I regularly get my cat's nails cut or if they're outside cats, do they wear down naturally? 
Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a question we get all the time um, for regular um, appointments. It really depends on your cat's lifestyle. Um, if they're outside, to be honest, they appreciate having their claws if another cat is trying to chase them or a dog to get up a tree. so um, And they do, as I say, in the majority of cases, they do wear them down. They always have that little dew claw that doesn't um, contact the ground quite as much and they don't use it, but um, especially in with, with dogs. But cats, they still need a good grip to get up a tree. Mm. So I um, we will always check them whenever we are watching anyway but certainly a sedentary house cat that you know scratches a post once every six months like certainly if you don't then they end up can start you know irregular overgrow and go into pads and things which you don't want worth a check and as you say very much depends on just how lazy your feline is <laughs> um, message from Zoe and I just want to start off by saying Zoe congratulations Zoe says our baby is five days old and our dog is obsessed with her especially when she's awake and crying or being changed the dog is very interested in what she's doing, stares, sniffs and tries to lick. Why might the dog be displaying these behaviours and what's the best way of stopping them? It's making me so upset because I love my dog so much, but when she gets in the way trying to lick while I'm trying to change a screaming baby, I can't help but get frustrated. It's all a massive change. I'm trying to fuss and show I still love her, but she needs to learn she can't constantly lick the baby's face. Yeah, I know. Look, I've gone through it twice and we were talking as well. Helen, you've gone through it as well. It's just part of bringing a new baby into a dog's, you know, often the dog's the first child in the family. So um, very quickly, if anything, it makes me very happy that the dog is showing interest. Um, It means that there is a degree of wanting to accept there, which is great, um, a great start. But I'm very aware that it can be very stressful when you've got dog and mm-hmm. um, nappies in your face um, and whatnot. So what, what what we try to do is try to um, obviously it has they have to know that a firm no like no you don't come here but having even like you know a brand new toy that you can get excited and play with with um, the dog whenever the baby's maybe napping or asleep that that's that you can have to hand that you can um, you know throw for them or essentially that kind of snuggly thing that is is the dog's kind of distraction that you need when you need that distraction for them if you know what I mean um, and certainly as I say and try not to it, it, it will gradually over time obviously the smells and everything is very new what often helps is for that smell to not be so overwhelming for them is um, taking one of their muslins that they've maybe you know at the end of the day the baby's vomited over or something like that that to the dog you know is is so much stimulation and actually taking that you know for taking that into their bed at night something like that and kind of normalizing actually, some yeah, of the normalizing some, some of those smells and things i know it's fair, it is very early days um but certainly it will it will get better and soon it'll just be like oh there's the crying baby it's fine <laughs> and just walk the other direction so Aww. um as i say, ho- hopefully ever get get that favorite toy for her um you know have make sure you have that time you know 10 15 minutes even if that's all they need in an evening just oh that's my that's my time just um, again. and yeah and reconnecting from there. Congrats again, Zoe. Five <laughs> days old. Um, now this is, I am, I'm sure, as I'm sure you are, a member of a lot of Facebook groups relating to animals in the UAE. And this is one that actually caught my eye earlier. And I'm not going to read out her name, but I think it's a really valuable post. Um, this was in the Dogs in Dubai group. And it said, 
This post is a small education for people who have kids between the ages of 7 up to 10, 11. Please do educate your kids that when a 35 kilo dog owner of a police or guard dog politely asks kids to stop following her, teasing her dog and to politely move away, teach them to listen. This is not a joke. Today I ran at a public park for the community where I live and I ran into the most annoying three kids with no parents around I've ever seen or encountered before. After repeatedly asking them not to follow us and to move away, when in talking with one of the kids, asking him to stop throwing his ball at us, another thought it was funny to come closer to my dog behind my back. The dog snapped after being repeatedly teased and approached when not welcomed and not decently introduced to, jumped and accidentally scratched his kid's chest, a minor scratch. My dog is on the leash of less than a metre alone. It is not okay. I will not be held accountable. Please educate your kids. Dogs are not toys. And I think it's a really valuable point to be honest in terms of teaching our kids how to be safe around animals and to be respectful and you know my kids love dogs they've grown up with dogs they they're they're overconfident with dogs but something I've been trying to get across to them as they've got older is you always ask permission before approaching an animal yeah for sure and that's so important I saw that post as well Helen actually and it is it's it's so important and a lot of it a lot of it is naivety in the kids um, and I think what I would like to do and what we're trying to do is trying to go in as, you know, animal and as vets and go and speak to kids from kind of, you know, my boy's age at the minute, kind of five, six, um, because that's the age where they can at least understand how to read a situation in that mm-hmm. case. And as you say, always asking, um, and it happens with Guinness when I take him for a walk around to the park. Um, I will be doing that whenever I go home to go around and see the boys. Everybody just flocks to him. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of those things because he's used to being pulled and hauled by multiple kids at home. He's fine. But equal I do say to them I'm just like always approach him by his head please ask me if you're going to touch him um, they always want to take him off in the lead and all the rest of it but um, it's just simple things um, and I do think the majority of kids are and I and I do think it's quite sad because they, a lot of them are so excited and as soon as the dog suddenly moves they're jumping and there's that kind of so there is there's education that needs to be Definitely. done there and I think it sometimes it, because of different cultures and things that maybe aren't used to animals um, it's even hard for them to get education from the Absolutely. parents so I feel like it is one of my um, kind of things that I am aiming towards <laughs> on a mission on a mission we need to start I need a hashtag to get us into skills for sure Um, because as I say education is the only way forward it really is it's why I wanted to flag it so thank you to whoever wrote that post because I think it just flags something that just very simple conversations we can have at home whether you have a dog or you don't but please be respectful please always ask and that goes as far as being respectful as a dog owner as well you're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer with ProPlan where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. Message here from Suleiman saying, how to care for a cat that is potentially feral and not willing to socialise. Been feeding her for months and she's given birth three months ago. All the kittens except for one seem to have gone their own way. How can I care for that antisocial cat and the kitten who appears to be fine? The mother cat won't let her kitten come close. Yeah, in the same way as I wouldn't let a stranger come close to my boys. Um, Mummies, especially um, street cats are and street dogs are amazing 
mothers um, and they will be even more aggressive with them around. It won't be very long, to be fair, till she's ready that it's time for the kitten to get out of the house and move on. So they're not, uh, they don't stay together for too long. They like their kind of solidarity. Um, so it just t- take time. I think the only thing is, you, you know, you, you can't, it's very difficult. You end up with lots of stress problems if you try and bring that feral cat in and make it a house cat. Um, you'll end up with a lot of stress issues if she's very happy outside you know feed her give her water just as I say just the consistency animals love routine um, and very, you know in that as long as there's a routine where there's always the same person there or always getting fed particularly and then you know the kitten doesn't know fear in the same way as the mummy does so in I would say in a month or two you'll probably be fighting the kitten to get outside you know to get out just, of the house just you know give I mean? it yeah. time yeah exactly oh, thank you for that I'm a message from Sean here saying my cat Millie is one she's a rescue September I took her to the vets and they gave her a three month worming tablet she's looking very round in her tummy and not eating as much as usual she's an indoor cat is spayed definitely not pregnant I thought maybe worms but the worming treatment should still be in her system she's not due another until mid-December any ideas thank you um yeah, this this is definitely something that warrants a vet visit. Um, there's a couple of things that spring to mind. Um, one, unfortunately, is something that is called FIP, um, which is called feline infectious peritonitis, and it is caused um, by a virus that they can often get very young. Um, and not every cat that is actually caused by coronavirus, but not human coronavirus, so don't panic. Um, it is a coronavirus, and it's a mutation that can happen um, in young cats. Um, and if, if that cat's had can even be as much of a vaccination if it has that mutation can cause um, essentially the vessels in the body to become leaky and there could be actually some fluid in there um, I would recommend that you know that, that little cat especially if it's not eating is seen sooner rather than later because if there's a diagnosis there's treatment for it now where there used to be not unfortunately so that would be certainly the first thing um, I would recommend vet check to check there's no fluid um, and go from there there you go, Sean. Get well soon, Millie, and keep us posted. Um, no name on this one, but it is about the cone of shame. Saying, our dog currently has the cone of shame and is very unhappy about it. Keeps banging his head off the floor to get it off, scraping it on anything he can. He's removed it twice, and once he got his ear stuck. Is it normal? Will he get better with it? He's got a suit on too, but without the comb, he's pulling that off to get to his wound. Oh, the cone of shame. Yeah. Any insights? Yeah, I, look, I know everybody, dogs and cats don't particularly like the cone of shame initially. Um, I remember when Guinness got castrated and we put the cone, and she, a cone of shame, like he, double lit, blow. he just didn't move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He just didn't move for a couple of days. By... Um, obviously it was on for 10 days by day 7 he was using the cone as a shovel to pick stuff up and pick food up <laughs> off the floor um, and hide his head so that he could put his head around a grocery bag and like steal stuff he thought he was invisible um, look some some dogs especially if it's you know a big dog that has to ha- you know you have to have a big long um, cone in order for them not to reach to certain places um, see if sometimes if you shorten the cone a little bit um, making sure obviously they still can't access it means they can um, control their space awareness a little bit more and bump Mm -hmm. into things less Um, it's it's the turning circle that tripped up our dogs in the past like closing doors accidentally behind them because they didn't realise so a bit bit of time and maybe a trim Mm -hmm. Um, a message from Karen saying what to do when a seven month old puppy doesn't want her food unless it's mixed with other food which I guess we mean human food yeah 
Um, I can guarantee it's probably under about seven kilos because um, small dogs are often very, very fussy um, and they're very, very intelligent as well. So what ha- often happens is when you start feeding a food and they suddenly go off it, naturally, because you're worried, you know, my puppy's not eating, it needs to eat, you do start to add things, but very quickly that animal can turn around and go, actually, if I refuse this food, I know that I'm going to get something tastier. Where's the chicken? Um, And look, obviously you have to make sure that there is nothing else underlying. Sometimes around, especially if it's dry food, sometimes around the teething time, whenever they're moving over their baby teeth, they're becoming adult teeth, um, that can be a little bit sore for them. So there are things that you can do but um, I would certainly just get a vet check to make sure there's nothing underlying um, and then you can start some uh, essentially program of you put the food down and you take it up after 30 minutes and dogs will not starve themselves Mm -hmm. Um, they'll make sure they eat it maybe not the next time but certainly the third the third offering they're going to go oh my goodness she's going to take it away so um, that's certainly what we would recommend. Leanne thank you so so much absolute pleasure hope all is well with you at the clinic I know you're very 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 busy so I'm going to let you get back to your your fairy patients but uh, we'll see you very soon Dr Leanne Cameron um, you can find her at the British Veterinary Hospital And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.